0: This reading is taken from Acts 12, verse 1 to 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also, This happened during the Festival of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may we hear from the Lord what His intentions are for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, thank you very much for this welcome to your lovely congregation here in Warnash. Uh Let me just introduce some of our cyclists uh, to you: uh, Paul and Kareen and Simon. Do you want to stand up there? The, these are the long-termers. They've got a real stretch before them. <laughs> Paul and Kareen. Uh, Paul is a retired dentist. Kareen is a retired theatre sister. And Simon is a retired civil servant. And then behind them is David. And he and I have resurrected a kind of—I um, don't know—we wouldn't call it a celebration, but. We shared a room at Cambridge University, and this week we have also shared a room on our journey. So David rode with us for the last few days, it was lovely, and Helen, his wife, is with us as well. So we're very grateful uh, for all those who are riding, and there are a lot of them. Uh, On the first day from the Kent coast to Canterbury, we had a lovely family come with Emily, who was nine, her little brother who was seven and the family had put up a just giving page for Samuel and he was a gorgeous little boy. Um, When he got halfway through this ride I said to him, "Uh, do you want to, uh, can you carry on? I certainly can. (laughs) (laughs) And he and his sister have raised 1400 pounds. Isn't that marvelous? Wonderful. So we praise God. But all along the road we've been welcomed and it's been absolutely lovely to share in churches such as this. When Peter was imprisoned, we read that the church, and it was really a house church, was meeting in the house of Mary and at prayer. And it's fascinating to me that there are two people, two heroes in that story. James and Peter. And our question, and the sort of question that so often the Psalms asked, in perplexity, was, why did James get executed? He must have had an equal amount of prayer from those praying for Peter. But the emphasis is on Peter. And it's fascinating. The church was praying, but when Peter was released, they couldn't believe it. They had a thoroughly modern, secular approach uh, to prayer. And uh, then, of course, it must have been awfully aggravating to be knocking on that door for so long. <laughs> but there he was, and he came out. Now we know that God is not a push button God, that but often we have to wait. And no doubt, James, as he awaited execution, felt those prayers to be as valid as those that came for Peter. In 2015, 21 people were executed on a beach in Libya. 20 of them belonged to the Coptic Church. Now the Coptic Church in Egypt, of course, is very ancient and stretches right the way back to St. Mark. And all of those workers, they were not ministers or evangelists in in a professional sense. They were not going there as anything but laborers. They refused to renounce Christ. They only had to do that to be taken out of that line of people to be shot. There was a 21st one there. He was not from Egypt, he was from Ghana. And he was challenged. Come on, you can renounce Christ, you can accept Islam, and you can simply go. And he had has been so impressed, he said, No, they have the faith that I want and I need. And he too was shot on that Libyan beach. Ukraine has emphasized, I think, for us, the awfulness in a particular way in that country with the Russian invasion. At the moment, Protestant pastors are being forbidden to preach in those Russian-invaded areas and are being abducted. But at the same time, many Ukrainians seem to be deepening their faith in Christ. I read the other day that the Bible Society has run out of Bibles. Such is the current demand. But, of course, our rightful emphasis on Ukraine can rather sideline the emphasis that we want to emphasize in terms of so many other places. I've been to northern Nigeria. I remember going up a street in Kano. It was a street that actually had ten churches in it, and the Muslims had sold the land to the churches, because previously it had been occupied by prostitutes and they didn't want anything to do with that land. But nine churches I saw had been burnt in the previous weeks. It was silent. There were those hideous caribou stalks. They're those birds that haunt slaughterhouses. And I could hear one sound a man on a roof hammering out the charred beams of that church he was a Christian and determined to rebuild and the wonderful thing is that there is a resilience so often in persecuted Christians that we have lost in the West. When we did our last bike ride, it was lovely to come down through Nottingham, in this case, (coughs) and there to find that everybody praying with us was a convert from Iran. And in these days, when our Christian statistics are often depressing, it is wonderful to know that there are places where the faith in Jesus is growing and growing. Particularly, in Iran. And some of you may know the ministry of Elam, based nearby, where they have tremendous Christian ambitions to reach every part of that country. We have many other examples of Christian growth, often under terrible circumstances. And those circumstances are becoming more terrible. Recently, the Chinese have clamped down on all internet connecting for churches. And there is more and more repression. And I know that CSW and Release are both concerned about a particular church called the Rainbow Church, which has been closed, its pastor has been imprisoned. And again and again, these stories are coming across. So, as Janet urged us, do... Just sign that petition, but take that document. It's so easy. I I write every year to Christians about whom I'm told by CSW release, and of course you'll never get a reply. You won't hear. And you may well ask, well, how do these letters get through to people in prison? Well, they often go to the wives or to the church, and then it's church representatives or family people who can actually get through. The current uh, Pakistani Christian, I think it's called Asif, and Release International has been tracking him and even sending representatives to visit him in prison, but his wife lives miles away, so it's terribly difficult, and she's poor, for her to visit him. But Release has provided the funds for that to happen, and funds for the family to be fed. And so as we ride, we also pray, because I've been on many sponsored events, and I've, my own rule has been to, be, to do one every five years of my life. I think that's probably coming to an end. And, um, but this is a time of prayer. And so going back to that passage from Acts... The church was praying, and that's so important. Hassan Dakhani Tafti was the Anglican bishop in Persia, in Iran. He lived in Isfahan. His son Bahram, who showed me around that beautiful city when I was a student, uh, was later shot and killed. And one night, gunmen broke in on Hassan Dakhani Tafti and his wife while they were in bed shot them at point-blank range. But not one shot registered. And Hassan the Tafti, who's been dead some years now, but is alive, of course, with Christ, he used to come around this country showing the pillow that he'd been lying on and all the bullet marks in it. But at the same time, there was a prayer group in southeast London. And they were praying for him in a rather general fashion. And suddenly they felt they must go on and on praying through the night. And it was that night when the gunman came in. And Hassan Dakani and his wife Margaret were saved. Prayer is a mystery, isn't it? We have been praying sometimes for things to happen for such a long time. But that's what persecuted Christians ask from us. Please pray for us. And by getting letters, they're simply being reassured that people are praying and are remembering and are knowing what they're going through. So the work of CSW in its advocacy in this urgency of bringing our attention to otherwise voiceless people, is so important. And that's really what our pilgrimage is about. Highlighting the faith, the courage, and the suffering of those who are facing such trials and tribulations for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a moment of quiet.